0: We talk about a lot of different kinds of power on this show. But today, we're looking at one of my favorite kinds.
1: Basically, if you turn over rocks in American politics, particularly if you're watching the right wing, you're going to come across the Mercers because their money is absolutely everywhere. Rebecca Mercer has increasingly become
2: a major political figure by virtue of the amount of money that her family has and is willing to pour into politics.
0: Rebecca Mercer, the daughter of a reclusive computer programmer genius billionaire, or almost billionaire, is not only an heir to her father's fortune, but has become, in many ways, the face of Mercer political power.
1: She had a seat right at the table with Trump when he was elected to help pick who ran the government. Why? Because she and her family put money into his campaign.
0: This is a story about money, power, and how things really work in American politics today. But there's fun stuff too. Cookies, the world of finance, choo-choo trains, political intrigue, a giant stockpile of urine, and of course, the White House. So, who is Rebecca Mercer? I'm Sean Morrow, and this is Who Is. The podcast from Now This, where we examine power through the stories of people who have it. Today, Rebecca Mercer. But why Rebecca Mercer?
1: I think that sort of the interesting thing that's happened in the last couple of years, really since the Supreme Court's Citizens United decision in 2010, is that that decision freed up a class of the richest people in the country to really influence American politics in a way they hadn't before. That is somebody who
0: knows all about this stuff. Jane Mayer, the author of one of my favorite books, Dark Money, the hidden history of the billionaires behind the rise of the radical right.
1: So what you get is less influence of the two major political parties, the Democrats and Republicans, and much more influence of extreme donors, people who just have a ton of money and have very strong ideology. And the Mercers are an example of that. These are people who no one really knew that much about maybe 15 years ago, but they have taken their fortune and used it as a political weapon to try to push America in their own direction.
0: Following the money led Mayer to the Mercers. Robert Mercer is Rebecca's father, And Robert is where the money comes from. The family wasn't always wealthy.
1: Robert Mercer is kind of famous for being just kind of a mad genius at math, Um, fantastically smart at math and computer science. And he invented the programs that became sort of Google Translate from translating one language to another and some of the programs that eventually became Siri. In 2014, he got a Lifetime Achievement Award from the Association
0: for Computational Linguistics.
3: So, first of all, let me point out that I am not now and have never been a linguist. A fact uh, that is probably blindingly obvious to any of you who uh, knew me during my time uh, at IBM. I'm also not a historian. I'm not a diarist. And I would say I'm really not even a scientist. What I am is simply a computer
0: programmer. Robert got into computers early. He was a gifted kid, and in 1964, he went to a special national science camp.
3: During the summer after my senior year, I spent three weeks representing New Mexico at the National Youth Science Camp in the mountains of West Virginia, learning to program in Fortran and working on a 1620 that IBM had been kind enough to donate to the camp. Computers were not of much interest to most of my fellow campers, so I got to use the 1620 all by myself most of the time.
0: Yes, computers existed in the 1960s, and Mercer appears to be referring to the IBM 1620. Computers back then were basically giant calculators the size of large household appliances, which is sort of crazy to think about. You have orders of magnitude times the processing power in your phone, which fits in your pocket. Anyway, the camp ends. It always does. And Mercer goes off to college at the University of New Mexico in Albuquerque, where he gets a job that will have a major formative impact
1: on his worldview. Here's Jane Mayer. If you go back and you sort of figure out, well, why are they so right-wing? What's this all about with this family? The father... Traces some of it back to when he was in college, I guess, and he went to work at some kind of computer lab that the military had. And he figured out ways to make the computers a hundred times more efficient.
3: The style of the original program was very unpleasant, so the first thing I did was rewrite the whole thing. And after a while, I had a new program
1: that produced the same answers as the old one, but about a hundred times faster. I mean, he was already brilliant, and his beef was that the military, instead of using that to do its fast more efficiently and saving money for the government, just figured out how to do 100 times more work.
3: And then a strange thing happened. Instead of running the old computations in 1 100th of the time, the powers that be at the lab ran computations that were 100 times bigger. I took this as an indication that one of the most important goals of government finance research is not so much to get answers as it is to consume the computer budget.
1: So he concluded from that that the government always just wants to waste money and get bigger.
0: But anyway, Robert Mercer gets married in 1967 to Diana Lynn Dean, who we don't know much about. The newlyweds leave the land of enchantment, that's New Mexico, for the land of Lincoln, that's Illinois where Robert gets a Ph.D. in computer science in 1972. That same year, Robert takes a job at IBM and the Mercers move to Yorktown Heights, New York, where Rebecca Mercer is born on December 6th, 1973, the second of three daughters.
1: She is very much her father's daughter. She has tried to kind of follow in his footsteps in terms of specializing in math and science.
0: We know very little about her childhood, other than that the Mercer household was supposedly a sugar-free household. We literally know more about Vladimir Putin's childhood. But the Mercers had a comfortable life in Yorktown Heights. According to the Washington Post, Robert had a decent salary, although not a salary that was decent enough to cover college tuition for three daughters. According to Yonkers Times, Rebecca graduates from Yorktown High School in 1990, where she was not as well-known as her younger sister, Heather, who played on the boys' football team, kicking field goals. You know who else went to Yorktown High School? Representative Alexandria casio cortez
1: Moving on. She went to public high school, then she... Did not get into Stanford at first, which is where her older sister went. Rebecca went to Cornell and then transferred to Stanford after, I think, a couple years at Cornell. She studied math and biology, and then she went on and she got a graduate degree, I think, an MA.
0: Yeah, Rebecca bounced around in the 90s. According to Town & Country, she was at Cornell from 1991 to 1994 and Stanford from 1994 to 1997. She ultimately finishes a master's degree in management science and engineering at stanford in 1999
1: and then she went to work at some point soon after at her daddy's firm when rebecca goes off to college robert moves from the world of
0: computational linguistics to the world of finance in 1993 according to the wall street journal robert mercer and one of his fellow ibmers peter brown are approached by nick patterson a researcher they had worked with on code breaking for the department of defense Patterson wanted to bring them on to his new project, Renaissance Technologies, a hedge fund. Quote, I realize that there are some deep technical links between the way speech recognition is done and some good ways of predicting the markets. And predict the markets, they did. What did Robert Mercer do for Renaissance? Here's
1: Jane Mayer. He took that computer knowledge that he's got and went into finance and figured out a way to kind of use computers to game the stock markets. And as a result, the programs that he created had just made him and his company, which is Renaissance Technologies, just fabulously rich. I mean, uh, it's been described by Bloomberg, the news organization, as a machine, the most powerful machine there is for making money.
0: Renaissance is really, really, really good at making money. Its main fund, Medallion, somehow managed to make returns of 80% during the 2008 financial crisis. That's like a kissing booth making a profit during COVID. And we're talking about dollar amounts in the billions. So that is Daddy's firm, which is where Rebecca gets her first job.
1: Nobody I've ever interviewed said that she was the genius that her father is. She's smart enough, I guess. But somebody I interviewed when I did a piece about the Mercers described her as kind of haughty.
0: Here's Rebecca moderating an American Spectator panel on how big tech allegedly manipulates information. It is, I really think, the only clip of her on all of the internet.
2: Can anybody tell me what political party Abraham
1: Lincoln was part of? no sorry google it he's the head of the national union party has anyone heard of that yeah that's what you get when you google because google doesn't want people to know that abraham lincoln was a republican she's very outspoken very adamant in her views she (laughs) she seems to rub a number of people the wrong way. Some people really like her, but she's an acquired taste and she's seen as quite entitled, I think. Basically, she seems to sort of have very strong views and if people don't agree with her she you know takes umbrage at them so anyway um she she's she if you look online you'll see pictures of her she she wears bright red lipstick and furs wrapped around her and very tall high heels and kind of plays the role of an heiress basically it's really full-on cruella de vil I have to believe that if it weren't for her family's money, I don't think anyone would pay any attention to her because her views are, are, are not particularly sophisticated. But she holds them strongly, and she's got the money, so people have to deal with her.
0: So let's talk about her father's money. In the early 2000s, Robert Mercer's political contributions were super vanilla. Giuliani, Chuck Grassley, Bush Cheney. But in 2004, the Mercers set up the Mercer Family Foundation, Rebecca, who was then like 30 or 31 years old, is named Director, although if you look back at one of the foundation's first required filings, next to her signature she titled herself President and Treasurer, which means a couple of things. One of which is that Robert has made enough money and has enough ambitions for what to do with it that he has set up a foundation. Another is that Rebecca Mercer has been in the game for almost 20 years. I asked Jane Mayer if she's been able to uncover what the catalyst was that led to Rebecca Mercer's involvement in politics.
1: You know, that's a good question, and I'm not sure that I have the answer. Um, I think when you see, I, I think the the Mercer girls, the three daughters, from from what I was able to find out through reporting, they were raised to kind of stick to their guns um, and achieve a lot. Someone described them to me as, as a little bit like the Schuyler girls in the... Um, Uh, musical Hamilton. Each one in their own way has such a kind of an interesting, colorful profile. So Rebecca, you know, she goes to Renaissance Technologies and um, she, you know, sort of succeeds there, I guess, well enough. She got married. She had four kids. um, She's divorced now. She's been a single mother who's homeschooling those kids because she wants them to be um, sheltered from what she sees as the liberalism that they teach in ordinary schools. Um, and so she's, she's bringing in all kinds of specialists to tutor her children. And, and I guess she just became, um, you know, like her father, um, very, very eccentrically extremist far right. By the mid-2000s, the Mercers have become wealthy enough that they
0: can literally buy their favorite businesses. For example, in 2006, when one of the Mercer sisters discovered their favorite cookie parlor, Ruby et Violette, was up for sale, the sisters bought it. Sadly, it has since closed. But a short review in Vogue in 2009 highlights a Vogue-exclusive gift box. The box included, quote, "...six decadent flavors, creme de menthe, champagne strawberry, rum raisin, red velvet, eggnog, and gingerbread. We defy you to try just one." End quote. The price? $40. For six cookies. At this point, it seems fair to say that even though Rebecca didn't grow up with money, she certainly adjusted to having it. By 2010, Robert has done so well at Renaissance that he becomes the co-CEO of the fund. It's important to note that just because people are brilliantly, geniusly smart in one way, it doesn't mean they're smart in every way.
1: One of the interesting things to me about Robert Mercer was he seemed susceptible to what I would describe as as really kooky conspiracy theories. He told um, at least one colleague at work that he thought it, it, it was possible that the Clintons maybe murdered people. Um, and th- this was some kind of fringe joke theory, practically, that was going out on the, you know, the far-right fringe that had to do with the, uh, Bill Clinton when he was president and Hillary Clinton. And, you know, it, it completely unsubstantiated, really, I think you can say, completely untrue. Yet it was something that Robert Mercer had caught his eye and seemed to kind of maybe convince him. There is
0: a villain in this story, and it isn't Rebecca Mercer. At least, according to the Mercers. I want to play you a clip from a movie you haven't seen, but you've definitely heard of.
1: I can't think of any other politician in history who has shown such a disrespect and a contempt for the Constitution and the rule of law
0: as Hillary. And, and I represented Richard Nixon's best friend, and uh, I knew Richard Nixon. And I'll tell you something, she's no Richard Nixon, she's worse. <laughs> That's a clip from Hillary the Movie, which was produced by Citizens United, a set of political organizations led by a guy named David Bossie. Hillary the Movie was released in 2008, an election year, and Hillary Clinton was running for president. Citizens United timed the release of the film with the Democratic primaries. Because it was a super-political film and Citizens United is a conservative advocacy organization, the Federal Election Commission said that ads for the film needed a disclaimer and that the people who financed the movie needed to be disclosed to the public and regulators. According to the Christian Science Monitor, quote "...the group Citizens United objects to the preconditions. Its leaders say they are just trying to get people to see their movie or purchase the DVD." not defeat a particular presidential candidate. So they sued in federal court in Washington, D.C., and lost, end quote. Eventually, however, they would win. I want to bring in another voice.
2: So Citizens United started out as a relatively narrow challenge about the application of campaign finance law to a documentary about Hillary Clinton. That's Brendan Fisher, director of the federal reform program at the Campaign Legal Center but the Supreme Court turned it into a much broader challenge to the ban on corporate political spending. Uh, so, So officially, what Citizens United did is struck down the ban on corporate independent expenditures. And the majority decision concluded that political spending that is made independently of candidates does not give rise to corruption or the appearance of corruption. And that's a a questionable assertion, but it was an assertion made by the court, and it was the premise on which the decision rested. Yeah, it's a questionable assertion. It's ridiculous. So one big impact of Citizens United was that it paved the way for for super PACs. And it was a a lower court decision that actually applied Citizens United and held that if independent expenditures cannot be limited because they cannot corrupt, then therefore contributions to a PAC that only makes independent expenditures also cannot be limited. Um, And that's what a super PAC is. A super PAC is an independent expenditure, only political committee. A super PAC can accept Unlimited amounts of money from individuals, from corporations and unions, as long as it operates independently of the candidates that it supports. And that has not necessarily functioned uh, the way that the court has anticipated because many, many super PACs actually operate in very close coordination with the candidates or, or political parties that they support. That close coordination should surprise exactly no one.
0: And although candidates aren't allowed to coordinate with the groups who can spend unlimited amounts of money, if you're running for class president and your rich friend buys a bunch of billboards saying everybody at your high school should vote for you, well, wink, wink, nod, nod, right? So
2: a donor can only give $2,800 per election to a candidate. But after Citizens United, uh, that same donor can give a $1 million check to an independent group like a super PAC. So that's where the laws preventing coordination really become important. Because if the super PAC that received the $1 million check from the donor is coordinating its activities with the candidate, then that $1 million check to the super PAC is as valuable as a $1 million check directly to the candidate and has the same risk of, of corrupting the candidate. So that's why we we follow coordination so closely, because if a if a super PAC is not operating independently of the candidate that it supports, then those massive contributions to super PACs from billionaires and corporations uh, pose an even greater risk of unduly influencing candidates and in our political system. But what does all
0: this have to do with Rebecca Mercer? Well, for one, we know that the Mercers would later fund Citizens United, the organization, donating at least $2 million in 2012. We know that Citizens United, the decision, opened the door for people like the Mercers to have a major impact on our democracy. What we don't know is whether or not the Mercers supported the organization as far back as the court case. Yes, it's possible that Rebecca and Robert literally funded the legal battle that has enabled them to exert a massive influence on our democracy. I had to ask. In terms of connecting all these characters, uh, what is or was Rebecca Mercer's affiliation with Citizens United, at like, like the group? Were she and Robert financing the organization when the case happened?
2: As a nonprofit, Citizens United does not make its donors public, so we don't know the full extent of the mercer's support for Citizens United at the time that that case was brought to the Supreme Court.
0: We can't say for sure, but we do know that the Mercers became much more active after the Citizens United decision in 2010. And when we're back, we're going to look at how Rebecca went from stay-at-home mom, foundation director, and cookie entrepreneur, to member of President Donald Trump's transition team. After this. I'm Sean Morrow, and this is Who Is?, Today, we're talking about Rebecca Mercer. Here's Jane Mayer.
1: Rebecca Mercer grew up in in her early years was kind of a a middle-class family, really. When her family struck it rich, I mean, their whole lifestyle became kind of this wild lifestyles of the rich and famous fantasy.
0: Yeah, you can't spend all of your money just on politics, right?
1: Among other things, her her father, (laughs) at one point spent $2.7 million for a toy train set that he had specially designed for him. And apparently he was unhappy with it. It didn't live up to his expectations, and he turned around and sued the guy that had made the train set for it not being good enough. And there was a headline in one of the papers that said, Boo-hoo over choo-choo.
0: Yes, this happened in 2009, and it's really the first big national story in which Robert Mercer is named. According to the New York Daily News, quote. A hedge fund hotshots lawsuit over a toy railroad setup sounds more like the great train robbery than Thomas the Tank Engine, end quote. And there's more.
1: They also, the family has a gigantic yacht that actually has a full-size tree in it and an elevator and all sorts of special bells and whistles. In 2010, Rebecca
0: and her then-husband, Sylvan Mirachnikov, a head of something called exotic trading at Morgan Stanley, buy a truly massive Manhattan apartment. According to the Wall Street Journal, they turned six adjacent apartments into one mega apartment, creating a three-floor palace with 17 bedrooms. Yes, 17. This cost more than $28 million. And interestingly enough, it's a Trump building, although the building has since voted to change its name. But million-dollar toy train sets, yachts, penthouse apartments, and elections are all like normal rich people stuff. What about the more unusual rich people stuff?
1: The family are part owners of what purports to be the largest um, uh, firm that has the most number of automatic machine guns in the country. Um, it's something called Center Firearms, and it has a warehouse in Queens, New York, and it has, even has grenade launchers. And I think they've got the, the sort of machine gun that Arnold Schwarzenegger used in some of his movies. So they're huge gun enthusiasts also. If that's
0: genuinely alarming, just think, they could easily buy that terrifying robot dog company, Boston Dynamics. But when it comes to politics, what are the Mercers investing their money in? And how is Rebecca different from Robert?
1: I'm not sure how much of uh, her father's ideology she shares, but since she runs the family foundation and the family, you know, what you can tell is where is she putting her money? That's what they use to speak in many ways. And I would say from looking at what they're investing in, in terms of the political scene, she's as far right as her father, if not even more so.
0: Things really heat up in 2010 after that Citizens United decision we talked about earlier. There's a Bernie Sanders-type guy who's been in Congress for longer than I've been alive. Congressman Peter DeFazio, who represents Eugene, Oregon, which is like old-school hippie territory. I'm going to read you the beginning of a 2010 story in The Oregonian. Quote, Less than a week before Election Day, Representative Peter DeFazio finds himself in an unexpected place for an unlikely reason. He's in a competitive race with a novice opponent who's been assisted by a torrent of attack ads financed largely by a wealthy New Yorker. The ads from a group called Concerned Taxpayers for America have been blistering DeFazio for weeks. They are a direct result of a January decision by the Supreme Court that allowed third parties to make unlimited and at times anonymous political contributions, end quote. Who was that wealthy New Yorker? Quote, a hedge fund manager who burst into public notice in 2009 for a lawsuit in which he accused the builder of a $2 million model train set of overcharging him, end quote. Who was the Republican challenger? Arthur Robinson, a supposed scientist who dabbles in climate change denialism and runs the Oregon Institute of Science and Medicine, where, according to 538, Robinson and family have been assembling an archive of human urine. Quote, Eventually, they hope to gather 50,000 samples, drawn from 5,000 volunteers across a five-year span. The pea is kept in cryogenic vials and stored in dozens of military-grade minus-80 freezers on the property. Mercer is reportedly a donor of money. In 2011, the Mercers meet Andrew Breitbart, and according to the Wall Street Journal, quote, became interested in investing in Breitbart's right-wing news organization, Breitbart News Network, end quote. They did invest, and invested millions of dollars. Rebecca became something of an unofficial editor. According to Jane Mayer's Big Mercer feature, quote, By 2016, Breitbart News claims it had the most shared political content on Facebook, giving the Mercers a platform that no other conservative donors could match. Rebecca Mercer is highly engaged with Breitbart's content. An insider there said, She reads every story, and calls when there are grammatical errors or typos. Though she doesn't dictate a political line to the editors, she often points out areas of coverage that she thinks require more attention. Her views about the Washington establishment, including the Republican leadership, are scathing. She was at the avant-garde of shuttering both political parties and went a long way toward the redefinition of American politics, end quote.
1: Rebecca Mercer and her father, for a while, were um, working with and allied with the Koch brothers, the late great Koch brothers. Now there's only one brother who's still alive, that's Charles Koch, because um, his brother David died a couple years ago, but um, but they, they, they were sort of a, a cabal or a, a, I don't know how to put it, a, a group of extremely rich conservatives who were pooling their money to try to have an impact on American politics, led by, by the Koch brothers. And the Mercers had put, at one point, more money into the Kochs than the Kochs were putting into their own projects. But the Mercers grew disenchanted when the Kochs, from their standpoint, weren't winning enough. And this was after the 2012 presidential election. What happened was, as, as people may remember, Obama got reelected. And when that happened, the Mercers became really disenchanted. And and Rebecca Mercer, in particular, kind of threw a tantrum. And she stood up and demanded answers about why, you know, after putting all this money in, they hadn't won and hadn't gotten what she wanted. And she sort of broke away from them and started her own thing a bit after that. And what would that thing be? What the Mercer family has tried to do is to take uh, data and data mining and and kind of analytics that you get from sort of high-level computer work and apply it to American politics. They want to try to figure out how to kind of game the political system the way they've gamed the financial system.
0: You've maybe heard of Cambridge Analytica, which was a firm that through like quizzes and games on Facebook, got tons of data on people across the country and then use that data to target political advertisements based on individuated psychological profiles. They were pretty good at this. Neighbors could get different political ads, perhaps even siblings and spouses. In fact, it really wasn't targeting. It was micro-targeting. In the United States, they claimed to have 5,000 data points on every single voter. A former employee, Christopher Wiley, one of the main whistleblowers who shed a light on this incredibly scary machine, said, quote, It's incorrect to call Cambridge Analytica a purely sort of data science company or an algorithm company. It's a full-service propaganda machine, end quote. And although Rebecca may not be the genius her father is, she damn sure had this one right. According to Bloomberg, quote, It is Robert Mercer's daughter, Rebecca, otherwise responsible for the Mercer Family Foundation, who is said to be the biggest booster of Cambridge Analytica's methods, end quote. When Bloomberg wrote about this in 2015, they weren't writing about Trump, the headline, Cruise Connected Data Miner, aims to get inside U.S. voters' heads. Cruz, as in Ted Cruz. Now we think about the Mercers and their association with President Donald Trump, but Ted Cruz was actually their first
2: choice. I want to go back to Brendan Fisher. So Keep the Promise One was a Mercer-controlled super PAC that originally supported Ted Cruz's presidential run. Keep the Promise One was run by none other than Kellyanne Conway. Keep the Promise One, like we saw later with the linkages between Make America Number One and the Trump campaign, Keep the Promise One and the Cruz campaign both contracted with Cambridge Analytica. And and the evidence seems to indicate that the the Mercer family would urge the candidates that they supported through their super PACs to contract with Cambridge Analytica as a condition of their support. And Keep the Promise One was no exception to that rule. But we didn't get President Ted Cruz, did we? In the final stretch of the 2016 election, Donald Trump was hurting for money. And Rebecca Mercer stepped in and offered her support and did so through a super PAC called Make America Number One. So the, the Mercer family primarily financed Make America Number One and it worked very closely with the Trump campaign. Back to Jane Mayer.
1: Trump? was in bad shape, people may not remember this, in the end of the 2016 campaign, it didn't look like he was gonna win. Um, and um, the, the, the Mercers basically poured in the cash that helped rescue his campaign in, in its final months. And so at that point, they became kind of public. And, and Rebecca Mercer in particular, um, sort of cut a colorful figure and, and you couldn't avoid noticing her.
0: There are a lot of reasons why Trump won in 2016. But one of them was
2: Rebecca Mercer. Make America Number One was a Mercer financed and Mercer controlled super PAC that played a key role in the final stretch of the 2016 election in helping to elect Donald Trump. And there were a number of linkages between Make America Number One and the Trump campaign. Perhaps most notably, the fact that both Make America Number One and the Trump campaign contracted with. Cambridge Analytica, the notorious data firm that was headed and largely controlled by the Mercer family.
0: We could have called this episode The Mercers, and there's no doubt that none of what Rebecca has done is possible without her dad, Robert. But at key points, the Mercer you most often see is Rebecca. And after Trump wins, Rebecca Mercer is named to Trump's transition team. Here's Jane Mayer.
1: She did wind up on his transition team, and I think this is, again, it shows you the power of money in American politics, because um, what are this person's qualifications to help pick the federal um, government? I mean, she's she's been briefly in finance, Um, she has no serious political background, um, yet there she was, advising the Trump administration on who should hold major roles of importance to all Americans. And among the people that she was a, a, a big backer of was um, Michael Flynn, um, who Trump did, in fact, choose as his national security advisor, and as people may remember, um, that was a fiasco, and helped trigger the beginning of the investigation that turned into the Mueller report. So. At any rate, she had a seat right at the table with Trump when he was elected to help pick who ran the government. Why? Because she and her family put money into his campaign.
0: Here's Brendan Fisher.
1: After Trump won the 2016 election
2: with the significant backing from the Mercers, there were a number of steps taken to install people that were very close to the Mercers, including in the case of the transition, Rebecca Mercer herself. Kellyanne Conway became one of Trump's top advisors. And prior to that, Kellyanne Conway had run an earlier iteration of the Mercer-backed super PAC and was a longtime ally of Rebecca Mercer. Steve Bannon was a longtime ally of the Mercers. He ran Breitbart, which was owned and financed by the Mercers. Uh, He, of course, played a significant role in the early early. Portion of the Trump presidency, and then John Bolton. John Bolton was also a, a close ally of the Mercers. The Mercers helped finance the the John Bolton Super PAC back in the the 2014 election cycle. You know he eventually was hired by the Trump campaign. Of course, some of those relationships seem to have gone sour. Steve Bannon and Trump very publicly split. John Bolton and Donald Trump uh, no longer obviously have a have a very good relationship. So the the relationship between the, the Mercers and the Trump White House is at times unclear, but certainly in the, the early stages of the Trump presidency, it, it appeared that the, the Mercers' political spending blocked them an awful lot.
0: We don't need to relive the Trump administration. We just did that. Like I said earlier, there are a lot of reasons why Trump won. The Mercers are one of them, and definitely an important one. So what does it mean for our democracy that wealthy donors can, by spending a small fraction of their fortunes, exert an enormous and maybe even decisive influence on our politics? We'll be back after this. I'm Sean Morrow, and this is Who Is. This is the penultimate episode of our third season, so this offer is more real than ever. Is there someone or something you want to hear us do an episode about? Reach out on social media at SNMRRW or email me sm at nowthismedia.com. Anyway, back to the story. What does it mean that Rebecca Mercer and her family's money can play such a big role in our democracy?
1: It truly distorts democracy. You have a small group of extraordinarily rich people who have outsized impact. I mean, the idea of democracy is supposed to be one man, one vote. You know, we may have inequalities economically and financially, but we're supposed to all be equal politically and equally powerful. One man, one vote. And instead, what we've got are a handful of people who have so much influence because they have so much money. And the problem, of course, is the more influence they have, the the more money they make. They shape the laws in order to help their businesses. And then the richer they get, the more influence they have to do that again. So it's kind of a, a vicious cycle. Um, and and you know, I think for that reason, it's incredibly important. If you want to change anything in American politics, you've got to get a grip on this money. This money situation is really out of control and and first of all people ordinary people and the press and the public they just need to be able to first see a full picture of of how this money works. Right now, because so much of the money is undisclosed, you can't even count how much is coming from, from families like the Mercers, because a lot of it is secret spending. So the first thing you've got to do is get disclosure. And once you've got disclosure, you've also got to set up some rules that are fairer, that make it possible for ordinary people to have as much power as the super rich. It, it's gotten way out of whack in recent years. Yeah, it's not good.
0: And listen up conservatives, there are billionaire Democrats out there, too.
2: Voters across the political spectrum generally agree that wealthy donors have far too much influence over our democracy. And when the laws that are designed to limit the influence of money in politics are not enforced, that leads to further disillusionment. And it leads to a further sense that the voices of voters matter less than the the voices and the influence of a small handful of very wealthy political donors.
0: You're probably wondering,
2: what about the Federal Election Commission? Aren't those guys supposed to be on top of this? We filed a, a complaint uh, in 2016 alleging that Make America Number 1 unlawfully coordinated with the Trump campaign by way of Cambridge Analytica. And the way that this functioned... So Cambridge Analytica was a Mercer-owned and Mercer-controlled vehicle. It was working for both the Trump campaign and it was working for Make America Number 1, the super PAC that was supposed to be independent, of the Trump campaign. One of the ways that the FEC defines coordination is through the use of a common vendor. And the the concern is that the common vendor would act as as a conduit for the sharing of strategic information between the campaign and the super PAC. And the evidence indicates that Cambridge Analytica did serve that purpose. It, Cambridge Analytica, by by working for both the Trump campaign and the Mercer-backed super PAC that was supposed to be operating independently of the Trump campaign, the super PAC therefore unlawfully coordinated with the Trump campaign and its spending in support of Trump was was not independent and was therefore unlawful. And
0: so what, what has come of this complaint? Where do things stand today?
2: Uh the complaint is still pending with the with the FEC. What? How? Is so clear that something probably illegal happened. The FEC is very often a dysfunctional agency and it can take many years to resolve complaints. And the the resolution of complaints has been further delayed because for most of 2020 it was without a quorum. So we still don't know where where the Make America number one complaint. Lies. We know that the FEC has not resolved it, but that's about all we know, because the, the FEC will, will not comment publicly on the status of of a yet-to-be-closed matter.
0: So, it's 2021, and you might be wondering, why are we still thinking about these Trump-era ghouls? So, why do we need to be paying attention to Rebecca Mercer?
1: Well, I, I mean, she and her family laid the foundation for the rise of Trump in many ways. That is that is an actual quote that Steve Bannon gave me. So this is how the Trump people saw her and her father as instrumental in bringing the politics of Trump to this country. And she's so far from done with this. I mean, I don't know that necessarily that she is trying to get a, a Trump comeback going, but that kind of politics, Trumpist politics, this is what she wants to see in this country and far right politics. And she's committed to it, and she's going to use her money to do it, and she will have influence, and still does. I support
0: ideas and policies, not individual politicians as people, Rebecca Mercer wrote in the Wall Street Journal in 2018. So what should we be watching? I want to go back to 2014, to the Pierre Hotel in Manhattan, steps away from Central Park, where, according to the Wall Street Journal, a group of conservative political donors had gathered to strategize about the 2016 presidential election. Quote, Robert Mercer, a computer programmer and hedge fund manager who distrusted the political establishment and loathed Bill and Hillary Clinton, issued a warning. Data he had seen indicated mainstream Republicans, such as Jeb Bush and Marco Rubio, would have difficulty winning the White House in 2016. Only a true outsider with a sense of voters' frustrations could win. End quote. It's not about what happened. It's about what's going to happen. And if past behavior is any indication of the future, it's 2024 and further out that Rebecca Mercer is paying attention to. It's about investing in ideas and not politicians. And the battle of ideas is a long game.
2: The Mercers have never limited their political involvement to electoral or campaign spending. Certainly, they've poured... A lot of money into political campaigns and a lot of money into super PACs and an unknown amount of money into dark money groups. But the Mercers have also sought to influence the broader political conversation uh, through media outlets like Breitbart and now through social media site Parlor, as well as an unknown number of other ventures. So certainly we're we're continuing to keep an eye out for further Mercer political spending, as well as additional Mercer political ventures, including for-profit ventures along the lines of Cambridge Analytica.
0: After the public became aware of what Cambridge Analytica was up to, the organization pretty quickly went away. But the micro-targeting of voters that Cambridge Analytica pioneered, it's hard to imagine that that has gone away. In fact, five years later, that micro-targeting has almost certainly become much more sophisticated. Today, Rebecca Mercer is said to be the shadow CEO of Parler, the social media platform on which the far right gathers to speak freely. And one of the places where the January 6th insurrection was allegedly planned. If Rebecca Mercer is Parler's shadow CEO, that's definitely something to pay attention to. But I wanna go back to the money. The kind of influence that Rebecca Mercer wields isn't exactly
2: new. Here's Brendan Fisher. Campaign finance laws are supposed to To limit the ability to convert economic inequality into political inequality. And there is going to be no silver bullet. And I don't think we can ever expect that wealthy special interests are going to stop trying to influence politics. But it's important that there that there are guardrails in place and that the laws that are on the books are enforced. I think some people can can grow cynical looking at the the arc of campaign finance law in the United States where Congress passes a law, the Supreme Court guts it, the FEC doesn't enforce it, and then Congress is unable to pass another law, which is pretty much the situation we're in at the at the moment. But there are important laws that remain on the books and campaign finance does have a hydraulic nature to it where laws might be passed to close one loophole that develops and then Wealthy special interests are are still motivated to continue buying influence and they seek out and they create new loopholes. And in many ways, that's because they can afford to do so. They can afford to hire lawyers that can identify loopholes in the law and then the wealthy donors exploit them. But that's no reason to, to give up on the system. And I think there's an analogy that could be drawn with the tax system where wealthy individuals identify loopholes in the tax laws Congress passes a new law to close the loopholes and wealthy interests hire lawyers to find new ones. But under no means would we ever say that we should stop collecting taxes. You know, and, and by that same token, we shouldn't we shouldn't stop trying to limit money's influence over, over politics. The history of our democracy has been one where we try to expand the franchise and protect the voices of voters rather than having our elected officials only be responsive to themselves or a financial elite. And it's certainly a struggle and it's an ongoing struggle, but it's one worth having. But look, we've
0: been talking about Rebecca Mercer for almost an hour and have yet to answer the most important question. So I asked Jane Mayer, have you tried anything from her bakery outlet?
1: You know, I have not tried her bakery, and given her feelings about me, I'm not sure that it would be a safe thing to do. <laughs> but, <laughs> but at the same time, I, I have tried to interview her. Um, and and I'm, I'm, I'm really sorry she's always turned me down. She obviously is not a fan of the work that I've done. But, um, you know, if I ever got the chance, I would love to interview her, um, just because it would be so interesting. And Jane Mayer is
0: not alone. According to a 2017 Town & Country story, Rebecca Mercer has never agreed to a sit-down interview. Even early articles about her bakery appear to only quote her sister. I, too, would like to interview Rebecca Mercer. And Rebecca, if you're listening, let's talk. Over cookies, perhaps? On the other hand, should we really be interested in what Rebecca Mercer has to say? She already has plenty of opportunity to say it, with her money and in places like the Wall Street Journal.
1: Among the things that are interesting is there are not that many women who are that involved as big donors on the Republican side. So it's unusual to have a a female playing this role, and she's kind of a fighter in some ways. You have to maybe admire the amount of spirit she brings to this thing, but at the same time, I think you've really got to raise questions about the fairness of someone having that much influence only because she's rich. Rebecca Mercer
0: would not have a seat at the table if it wasn't for Robert Mercer's money. But it was Rebecca who was reportedly the big believer in the kind of innovative technology, Cambridge Analytica, that helped Donald Trump win the presidency. And it was Rebecca who was named to Trump's transition team after he won. Rebecca Mercer is not to be underestimated, and she's going to be around for a while. It's unlikely that Rebecca Mercer will ever run for office. And why would she? She can do a lot more with her family's money behind the scenes. And that says a whole lot about how politics work in America today. Next week on Who
2: Is, actually, I want to bring back Brendan Fisher. Campaign finance does have a hydraulic nature to it, where laws might be passed to close one loophole that develops and then Wealthy special interests are are still motivated to continue buying influence and they seek out and they create new loopholes. And in many ways, that's because they can afford to do so. They can afford to hire lawyers that can identify loopholes in the law and then the wealthy donors exploit them. But that's no reason to to give up on the system. And I think there's an analogy that could be drawn with the tax system where wealthy individuals identify loopholes in the tax laws. Congress passes a new law to close the loopholes and wealthy interests hire lawyers to find new ones. Why would wealthy people hire
0: lawyers to find loopholes in the tax laws? And more than that, why do loopholes in tax laws exist in the first place? On the final episode of this season, we're going to look at a social disease that has sickened societies for hundreds of years. It's who is inherited wealth. Next week. A sincere thank you to our guests Brendan Fisher, Federal Reform Program Director at the Campaign Legal Center, a nonpartisan nonprofit keeping an eye on nuts and bolts issues in American politics, from campaign finance to voting rights. And Jane Mayer, Chief Washington Correspondent for The New Yorker. Mayer is the author of several books, including Dark Money The Hidden History of the Billionaires Behind the Rise of the Radical Right. Who is is a podcast from Now This? I'm Sean Morrow, your host. Michael McDowell is our producer. Laura Tillman is our associate producer. Mona Hassan is our writer. Editing and mixing by Will Stanton. Production support from Pedro Alvira and Amanda Earle. Our executive producers are Nancy Hahn, Brett Kushner, Sarah Frank, and Mangesh Hadakuder. At Now This, Tina Ixaros is our chief content officer, and Ethan Stephanopoulos is our president. If you liked the show, don't forget to rate and subscribe.